you would, open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Let's pray. Lord, as we bow before you this evening, as always, we are grateful, Father, for the word that you have preserved for us. We ask, Lord, that we would always cherish your word and all that is in it. We pray, Lord, that not only would you grant us an ability to understand those things that are written, but, Lord, that you would give to us a very strong desire to want to apply these truths to our lives. Father, we would want the way that we think to be shaped by your word, that we would want the way that we make decisions to be shaped by your word, the way that we understand the world, that it would be shaped by your word, as well as the way we understand ourselves, the way we understand our problems, uh, what we are to do about our difficulties, what we're to do about our relationship with you, we pray, Lord, in all these ways that we would be informed by your word. And Lord, we live it out. And Father, we know that if we live this way, not only will our lives glorify you, but that is the road, that is the way that we will experience a very deep level of happiness on a regular basis. Our joy will be full. And Father, we desire to be joyful. And so now we ask that you would bless our time in your word, again, as we do thank you for it. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians 5, beginning in 17, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So if you would, turn over to 1 Peter 3. Uh, I'm not going to do a, a long review. We've, we've spent several weeks on this passage in Ephesians, and we wanted to supplement it with a couple of other passages. So I want us to begin where we left off last week and look at 1 Peter 3. And then after that, we will, uh, after a few things, we'll move on to Philippians, and then we'll have this part finished up. So 1 Peter 3, and I'll begin reading again in verse 1. It reads, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Remember that as we looked at this a little bit last week, one of the things that we want to make sure that we kept in mind is that Peter, when he's speaking to the wives, he's not calling for a spineless submission to your husband. He's talking about a voluntary selflessness. The idea that you are basically living as a Christian and you're putting others first. Here, in particular, you're putting your husband, husband before you. 
Remember that as we were talking about this, that we, we were talking about and emphasizing the equality between the husband and the wife, between men and women, uh, that there is no inferiority even hinted at in the scripture when it comes to the relationship between a husband and a wife, that when we speak of equality in personhood, uh, yet a distinction in function, that we're not just trying to somehow uh, use code language to kind of mean the same thing that people have misunderstood for years, that the idea is that the husband is the boss and the wife is to obey. The husband is the head of the home, but he's not the boss. Uh, and even though we said many times that the word obey is not incorrect, I, I don't think that it is the best word to use just because of all the weight that it carries. But the word submission is a much better word. Uh, and that is how it is spoken of really in many different passages. Again, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Just remember last week that we said the word own was the Greek word idios, which does not mean idiot. Um, so we just had to make sure we repeat that so that women don't think that the Bible calls their husbands idiots because it doesn't. But remember that as we were talking about that, in order for the Lord to make your family a functional family, as he speaks to the wife, you are willing to obey what God says. And when it says here that you are subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, it's, it's not that you are subjecting yourself or submitting yourself to the husband as if he is the Lord. It's because of who the Lord is, because of your love for the Lord, because of your commitment to Christ, you then submit to your husband. So your submission to your husband is a reflection of your love for Christ. That's what he's getting at here. Uh, so again, it's not because you love your husband that much. It's because you love Christ that much. That's the key. As I love the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm willing to do whatever it is he tells me to do. A wife's love for Christ motivates her to submit. And then you see that illustrated when you move on in 1 Peter. Once again, starting with verse 3, but moving on through verse 6, where he says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. So again, remember earlier we said that submission is an act of faith. Here, that's exactly what he's getting at. He's talking about holy women. Well, who are holy women? They are women who trusted in God. They adorned themselves by being submissive. Then he gives us a very specific example. As Sarah obeyed Abraham. Remember that Abraham, in an uh, act of unfaith towards the Lord, in an act of uh, trying on his own or depending on his own cunning, trying to figure out a way to keep himself safe, he withheld information to try to manipulate a situation. He did that twice, and in each case, God needed to miraculously deliver his wife, really because of his sin. And God did so because God is faithful. So what happened was then is that Sarah absolutely trusted God. Basically, nothing I can do. I'm going to do what my husband says, even though her husband was clearly wrong. And I'm going to let the Lord take care of it. And the Lord did. And much to the shame of Abraham, so to speak, uh, but really to the glory of God. Verse 6 again, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So again, Sarah loved the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
She was committed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as a result of that, she was delivered by the Lord. She was protected by the Lord. So we see in her then the inner beauty that Peter's talking about. She displayed her chaste conduct. We saw that earlier where it talked about in Peter about um, winning her husband without a word. And the idea is that he observes her chaste conduct. The word chaste here means freedom from defilement or impurity. But it's more than that. When you look at Kittle's Theological Dictionary, it's a very large dictionary uh, going into great detail when it comes to New Testament words. It reveals that the word that's used there for chaste originally meant what awakens awe. So this is a a very uh, powerful term that is used. And it's describing the power that is going to be displayed if a woman submits as she ought to out of love for Christ. It is such uh, an action, a way of living, that her husband then will be in awe of her. Now, that's not where the woman's trying to manipulate a situation to get her husband to be in awe of her and what she does. She's just simply trusting the Lord. The Lord is the one who's going to work in that situation. There's nothing in here about timing, nothing in here about being delivered, how, how, nothing about how God's going to do it. Remember that when it comes to Sarah and each of those two instances in the Old Testament where basically Abraham told, uh, as they were in a foreign land, some, some men who came, that Sarah was his sister and she was his half-sister, but that, that was his sister because in his mind, he thought he would be treated well. Because if he told him that, was, that he was the husband, because of her beauty, he was afraid he would be killed. So in each of those situations, when he then uh, misrepresented the truth, she was actually taken. She was taken away. She was placed in the household of another man. The intent was her to become a part of their group, of their harem, to be joined to that individual as a wife. So it doesn't mean that you're going to be, that somehow uh, bad situations are going to be prevented. There was a point to where God was not going to allow it to go any further. It didn't look like it was going to be a good deal for Sarah. The very first time it happened, I mean, she's there. Abraham doesn't have an army where he can come and deliver her. She's in a bad spot. So what we need to remember, uh, because sometimes we can be tempted where and anyone can be tempted in this way. Will we obey God? And maybe let's say that we're doing something that's maybe difficult in our obedience to God. And then we do not see immediately or rather quickly the kind of results that we believe God has said would happen or what we are thinking is going to happen. And so as a result of maybe our impatience, we then immediately will, will go back to our default position, so to speak, and try to figure it out on our own. Maybe try to manipulate or maybe get upset or maybe get angry. Whatever the situation happens to be. So we want to make sure that when it comes to obedience to the Lord, regardless of who we are, male or female, even though the context of this is talking about the woman, we want to make sure that we are uh, willing to follow the Lord all the way till the end. The Lord's going to resolve it the way he's going to resolve it. It's going to be done according to his will and his way. It's not a situation where we're checking along the way and then we take over if it's not going the way that we want. And we're all going to have that temptation from time to time. It may be that when it comes to uh, the way that we discipline our children, uh, 
you know, some parents have decided, well, you know, my way is not working. I'm trying to be my, my, my child's best friend. I'm trying to be their buddy. You know, things are out of control, so I'm going, to, I'm going to follow the scripture, and I'm going to discipline my children in a loving and firm way, and I'm going to teach them the word of God. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray with them. I'm really going to get on the stick. And so they start that, and it might last three days. It might last three months, uh, maybe three weeks, something like that. And they don't see a change quick enough in their children, and so they just drop it, and they go back to something else. And so now they're going to start bribing their kids or whatever it happens to be, and this is going to mess things up. So there's different ways that we do that. So the idea then here that's presented is that we need to live in obedience. Here, the wife needs to live in obedience. Her... Um, submission to her husband, the way that she lives, without defilement, without impurities, is to be lived consistently in such a way that the Lord will bless that, and there would then be this sense of awe in her husband, and the Lord will work in whatever the situation is in remedying the situation. Again, um, the idea is that you want to be pure in your inner disposition. As it says in Proverbs 20, verse 9, Who can say I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. And so the idea is is that we want to live that way. We have to depend upon the Lord to live with this purity. And God's going to bless that uh, and use that in the way that he sees fit. Turn, if you were to the book of Philippians, because this is the crux of the matter. When it comes to submission, and again, uh, we've covered primarily the wife being submissive to the husband. But the scripture also said in Philippians that there is a mutual submission uh, we spent some time on that. Sometimes commentators and sometimes individuals kind of overlook that and try to dismiss that aspect of it because they're afraid to disrupt the order uh, that God has given to the family, but there's no reason to fear that. Uh, there is to be, among all believers, a mutual submission. Uh, this idea that we are giving preference to each other, that we're giving honor to each other, and that especially is to be true in the marriage relationship. Uh, it needs to be seen uh, by the family, by those that are close. Not only that the wife is to the husband, but the husband is very clearly serving his wife in a very sacrificial way. That he is not lording it over in any way, uh, that he is the head, but that he's doing it in a very loving, kind, and gentle way. Uh, that he's not trying to force his wife to submit. There's nothing in the Bible about him doing that. Uh, there's nothing that he should be doing, nothing that would be demeaning to her. He should never be talking down to her. None of those things. It should be viewed as, as what we would probably use the language of a very kind, loving uh, relationship between the two that really exemplifies, as we mentioned before, the relationship that the church is to have with Jesus Christ. So our example then in exhibiting that kind of behavior in a marriage goes back to Christ and what he accomplished for us and the way that he accomplished it for us. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. When he says let this mind, we could say let this mindset. It would not be wrong to say let this attitude. So what he's stating there is that we need to possess, we need to uh, have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. So what was that attitude? Verse 6, who... Being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. That's a very odd phrasing. Uh, I'm reading from the New King James. Uh, We don't use the word robbery in this way at all. Uh, Other translations uh, 
try to uh, communicate what's being said here. The idea is, is that the fact that Jesus is God, that fact was not something he clung to. But it's, it's even a little more than that. Because when we think about the, uh, uh, the Trinity and who Jesus Christ is, if you could kind of imagine this, before the Incarnation, Jesus would have instantly been recognized for who he was. The, the brightness of his glory would have kind of given it away, that, that he's God. He laid that aside and came in the form of man, which we're going to read in just a moment. So the, the fact that he is God, the instant recognition that, that was re- basically rightfully his, he didn't cling to that. Uh, I guess the best of trying to, trying to illustrate that concept would be uh, some of the difficulties that certain celebrities have when it comes to the end of their career, whether it's a sports celebrity. Uh, I know those who are in acting kind of hang on forever, but the idea is, is that especially if you're a sports celebrity, you are normally recognized, if, if you're well-known, if that's why you're a celebrity athlete, you're immediately recognized for being a great athlete. You're, you're, and so what happens is, is that you get kind of used to being treated differently. You know, wherever you go, people, oh, you know, like if you go to a restaurant, the guy who owns the restaurant is really glad you're there because that means more people will want to come to his restaurant. He might, even though you're making millions of dollars, he may still give you a free meal because your value to him because you're famous. Well, what happens is with many individuals who are what we would call a celebrity athlete, they get used to this instant recognition and all the perks that go with it. When they retire, it's immediately on to the next guy. He's now old news. He may be recognized every now and then, and people will show him respect, but they're more interested in the guys who are playing now. And because that's going to go away, because some athletes recognize that before they retire, they begin to struggle with that. Their, Their skills are diminishing. They're not getting the accolades they used to. Everyone's excited about the new guys, and they struggle with that because they, they have developed an appetite for that instant recognition, even though at times they get tired of it. People always coming up to them and interrupting their meal and asking for autographs or whatever they happen to be doing. You know, they, they still, they're hungry for that, and so they cling to that. They don't want to let it go. And, and some of them even go into depression or go into all kinds of things uh, when that begins to take place, because they are unable to handle that. So back to the Christ, the fact that he is God himself, remember that he is worthy and deserves to be worshipped, to be adored, to be honored. And he was instantly recognized for who he was. Well, what's being emphasized here is what he, do, what he did for us, but the way that he did that. So the idea of he did not consider it robbery, the idea is that it was not something he, that he clung to. Verse 7, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So, taking, so making himself no reputation, he didn't come as a king, he didn't come as a celebrity, uh, he didn't come at a time when the news could be broadcast everywhere. Uh, he, he came in, in humility. He came in the form of a bondservant, a bondservant or, or a bond slave. The idea is, that, is of a bond slave was one who voluntarily enslaved themselves to another individual. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this kind of thing before. 
if you've ever, ever had anyone explain what a bond servant was or what a bond slave was, remember that when it came to slavery, individuals were, had be, would become slaves for a lot of different reasons. And there were those individuals who would become slaves because they owed money. Um, sometimes, uh, even though you owed someone money, someone else might come along and pay your debt, and you become their slave. And so you're no longer enslaved to the one that you owed the money to. That was paid by someone else. Now you, are, you owe them. Uh, and so... Let's say that, because this would not be unusual, even slaves owned slaves in the time of Paul and whatnot. So let's say that a, a man is enslaved, he and his family is enslaved because of debt, or maybe they became in debt because of some great tragedy. doesn't matter. He gets to the point to where now he's going to be freed. He's paid his debt. And, that's, and that would happen. If you, if you paid off your debt, you, maybe you were enslaved for three years, maybe you were enslaved for five years, but whatever it happens to be, you've paid off your debt and you will go free. Well, in some situations, of the individual, uh, because the individual is taken very well care of, right? because too often when we think of slavery, we only think of the kinds of images that we're used to seeing when the History Channel does a uh, special on history uh, on uh, slavery in America. And so we think of people being beat and all those things, and that did happen, but not to every slave, and not in every household, and not in every century, and not in every country. And so there are these individuals who uh, their master was very rich, you worked for him as a slave, but you had your own home that was given to you to live in. Uh, you never really needed anything because all of your needs were met because this man was wealthy and whatever, whatever service you were offering him, uh, you recognize that your family's doing really well. And so you decide that uh, even though you're now free and you pay your debt off, you don't want to be free. And so you reach an agreement with, with your master. And the agreement is, is that you will remain a slave. And there would be a, a, a golden earring that would be placed uh, in your ear. So then wherever you went, uh, if you went with your master, we recognize that you were a slave by choice. It spoke well of your master, that you were treated so well and so fairly and so kindly that, you were will, that you're willing to live in this way. It's really hard for Americans to really grasp that idea. Because uh, we don't want to be subservient to anyone. <laughs> uh, which is why we have a hard time being submissive on any level. But that was actually a very common thing. So the idea here then is that Jesus is coming in the form of a bondservant, in the form of a slave, voluntarily. Remember that he said in his life on earth that he, it was, uh, his desire was to do the will of the Father. He was completely committed to that. He, the, the will of the Father was completely given over to meeting our needs. There was nothing that he did that was for himself, ever. Everything was always for the sake of others, his entire life. And that's what it's emphasizing here. So he came to serve. And then, of course, he came in the likeness of men. And the importance of that is because we have the God of the universe, the most powerful being that can exist, who does exist, came in the form of a created creature came in the form of man with all of man's weaknesses, all of man's imperfections. That was the form he came to live with us and to live among us for our benefit. That's what's being expressed here. This is the kinds of things that we are to think about when it comes to our submitting to each other. We are to emulate Christ. That is such a, uh, an incredible command, such an incredible order given to us that we are unable to accomplish that on our own. We do not have the strength, the will, the endurance to live that way. We need to be, first of all, changed by the gospel of Christ. Uh, and then when we are regenerated, 
the Spirit of God comes to live in us, and God then motivates us. He places those desires in us and us to want to live in that way. And we still have difficulty because of the flesh and the weakness of the flesh, but that's what's to be taking place. And then as we grow and mature as believers, then the idea of submission becomes very deeply rooted in our being. It becomes part of our nature. We might even say, well, it's a second nature to some people to be submissive. But the idea is that we are to, to live that way. We, our entire life, the way we think, is always in reference to others and serving them and what is best for them. And that's how we live our lives. And that's what he's saying that we are to emulate here. That's how Christ came. So this is the picture, then, that is used in direct relationship um, to how, how we are to be submissive, how the wife is to be submissive to her husband, and how the husband is to be submissive to his wife and serve her as he ought to in a way that honors the Lord. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So again, the emphasis is that he was obedient. He, he was obedient through humility, once again emphasizing uh, that um, this, this individual was living for the sake of others. He was uh, not concerned for himself. He, there was no arrogance, no pride, none of those things. And then says that he was submissive or obedient all the way to giving of his life. And then in the English, anyway, there's a comma, and then it says, even the death of the cross. And the reason why it's placed that way or stated that way is because that crucifixion, even to this day, is believed to be, if not the, one of the, the worst three possible ways that an individual could die. The suffering was so immense. I mean, the Romans perfected torture. I mean, they were... They were into it. What can we do to cause an individual to die as slowly and as painful as possible? And the crucifixion, if you, if you read, do, uh, you can find a lot of uh, articles on the internet. There's a lot of books written about the way the individual dies. In the end, uh, you end up suffocating. And it was a very common practice uh, when individuals are crucified <clears throat> for the uh, soldiers to cut their tongue out. Uh, and the reason why was because uh, part of the torture uh, when you are suffering is your tongue would begin to swell. And what individuals would do is they would then swallow their tongue to die very quickly. Well, the Roman soldiers weren't going to have any of that. And so if that was going to happen, they would cut that tongue out so that you could live. And so, and, and they would, and so it would take people two, three, four, five days sometimes before they would die. It was just every aspect of crucifixion was calculated. Even when, they, when, even when you were nailed to the cross, it was a study in anatomy so that you, know, you would remain conscious during you know, when, you were, when, you're, when your hands right here were being impaled. There was a block of wood that was underneath your feet. There was a reason for that. That was so you could push up without having this, these nails ripped out of your feet so you could push up up against the cross because as you hang there in this straight up and down position all of the internal, or internal organs would begin to sink down in the chest cavity, making it very difficult to breathe. And, of course, there's a survival mechanism that we have. And so you breathe in a shallow way for a while, and it gets to a point where you, you have to take a big breath, but you can't do it hanging from a cross. You've got to pull yourself back, then push up with your feet so that you can become more erect and then get that very large breath and then sink back down and breathe slowly again or breathe in a shallow way. They knew all that. They figured all that out. They even figured out that when they would, when they would impale you and then put your, the cross on the ground, they would get it upright and then they would drop it. 
That was on purpose. Because they knew that when you're stretched out like that and they drop it, it would rip both shoulders out of joint. More pain. I mean, it was just, it was unbelievable. So that's, so when it emphasizes that, it's just really driving home the point uh, uh, when it comes to the humility of Christ and what he did for us. And that that, that is the mindset. Remember what he said, said in the beginning of verse 5. Let this mind be in you. What mind is that? This. That's what he's talking about. Let me read to you the passage again. This is from the Christian Standard Version. Uh, some still have a Bible that says the Holman Standard Version. I don't know if they are going to change the name of it again. But anyway, um, it's a pretty good translation. It reads this way. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. We want to make sure that we don't allow that to be lost in the discussion of marriage and submission. That is not brought out very often. So, because sometimes what will take place, what has happened in some cases, is when there's difficulty in the marriage, and usually there's many different types of issues that are going on. People aren't getting along and you know, they want to begin to move away from each other. Uh, they, might, they might be thinking divorce. They might just be thinking separated. Lots of things that are going on. And if it's in the case of, of Christians, it, it's very difficult to begin to talk about submission because it's the last thing they want to hear. They don't want to hear that. They're already upset. They're usually in a position where they're not going to forgive or they haven't been forgiving. They've already allowed bitterness to take root. There's some cynicism. All those things are going on. And so this idea of submission is just out of the question. But if we come back to what Christ has done for us, he gave it all up for us. It is not about what we feel. It's not about what we think. It's not about what we're going to get out of this. It's not about, is this going to, it's not about any of that. And normally what happens when people want their marriage, or would they at least say they want their marriage to be better, they want to get counseling so they can save their marriage, usually their approach is that there's, there's, may, there may be kind of a willingness to change. They don't all say this. Most of them don't say this. But there's a little of this attitude there, and it's, and it's this. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do some of the things that you suggest. As long as they do. It comes down to that. As long as they do. And there's been several times when I've spoken to maybe one of the parties alone. And I, and I have to ask them the question. Because they claim to be Christians. And I ask, so, what if they never change? What if that's how he or she remains? What are you going to do? That is not popular in this country. That is not what people want to hear. But we are Christians. Yes, it's true. It, it should not get to that point. At least our attitude should not get to that point. You know, I'm not saying that if we're Christians and we follow the Lord that our relationships will always be great and perfect because that's not going to happen. What I am saying is that we have absolute control over how we respond and how we react to what's happening. The scriptures make it clear that some of us have been called to suffer. I don't think that's just persecution. That's in many different ways. 
We need to trust the Lord that he knows what he's doing. Trusting the Lord does not mean that you will always be delivered from your bad marriage. It doesn't always mean that. The Lord can do that, absolutely. But sometimes it's, we, we don't intend to do this, I don't think. But it's almost as if what we end up saying is we want to make a deal with God. And the deal is, is I'll do what you say, Lord, as long as you're changing so-and-so. As long as I can see some hope in that. And that's a very difficult, bad position to be in as a Christian. We, we need to make, and that's why it's important that we need to continue to grow as believers. Even if your spouse isn't, you, you can't use them as an excuse. They may, they may make it very difficult, but we, we don't have the right to use them as an excuse. And that's, I, I know people don't want to hear that. But we are to be living our lives seeking to honor God. And, of course, what may make it more difficult is normally if you're suffering in a marriage relationship, that's not exactly something that a lot of people notice. You're not going to get famous for sticking out, sticking out in a marriage like that. And, of course, we live in a society where the whole world says that's just foolishness. It's just wrong. We don't even ask you to do that, much less for you to do that. The world's not going to get that. They're not going to understand that. They don't want to understand that. And we forget that, you know what, the Lord is very uh, much aware of what is happening. The Lord is the one who does reward. We, we talk about the fact that uh, oftentimes the Lord will reward us. and that we won't, we won't be rewarded now, but we will be rewarded in the future. And we, and we say that we believe that. And we might even encourage others who are going through difficulties. But when it gets really close to home, which is a marriage, that can be extremely difficult. And that's why it's important that we grow as believers before your marriage goes sour. Hopefully it won't. So I'm not saying when. I am saying if. But the idea is is that we need to be growing as believers. And this is what God has called us to. This is what it is. Where... We, come, we, are, we become the bond slave of Jesus Christ. And his will is what is to be supreme in my life. And if he wills that I remain in a marriage where I'm not getting the attention I want, or I'm not getting the love I want, or whatever it is, then so be it. It doesn't mean that it won't hurt, because it will. It doesn't mean that it's not going to make you sad, because it will. It doesn't mean that you're not going to experience moments of loneliness, because you will. Thank goodness we have the church. Thank goodness we have the Lord to depend upon. The Lord is, and we all know that God has not promised to deliver us out of all of our problems, but he does promise that he would always be with us in them. And there's a very real comfort in that. There really is. Remember that most believers in the world today suffer immensely. The believers in America don't really suffer much, not when it comes to the physical persecution and things that we talk about when it comes to the persecuted church. We don't suffer like they do, but there are those who do suffer, and there are those who do suffer greatly, and it may be several that are in these kind of marriages that just things aren't going right. The individual, you know, they wear their happy mask, as we mentioned this morning, to church, and they're just dying of loneliness at home, which is, again, another reason why it's so important for us to really uh, connect with each other. And if you find out with those that you get close to that maybe the marriage is not at all good, you need to begin to pray for them on a regular basis. 
And if you're friends with one or the other, pray with them. Seeking the will of the Lord. You need to be the one that's reminding them to hang in there. Reminding them that that honors the Lord. Uh, And uh, um, seeking to help them to do right. Not trying to make them think you're on their side. And they say, well, I'm going to do this. You go, yeah, well, I don't blame you. You know, he's a bum anyway. We, we just, you can't be that person. You can't. Not in honor of the Lord. So this is very difficult, you know, even though we kind of, we have all of our jokes about submission and the wives submit. And, you know, oh boy, the Bible's going to talk about wives and the husbands. All the husbands want to take notes and all that. We can joke around and laugh and all that. And that's okay. But at the same time, we also need to recognize the seriousness of this. And it may be the extreme seriousness of this for some individuals. So, the husband and wife are to emulate in humility the submission of Jesus Christ. Again, we have the example of the mind of Christ, which we as a church and individual are to practice as a lifestyle. Before Paul describes the mind of Jesus, he does tell us what we must do with the information. Remember that this mind is something that's granted to us by God. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says that we have the mind of Christ, but it also is something that we must choose to walk in. Vines, in his expository dictionary, says this, In order to enforce the earnest exhortations just given us as to lowliness of mind and and unselfish consideration of the things of others, Paul sets forth the Lord Jesus Christ as the supreme example of this, and in doing so declares the outstanding doctrines of the faith, the deep things of God, his voluntary self-abasement, his incarnation, his obedience even to the, to the death of the cross. The passage combines Christian doctrine and Christian practice. The immediate connection is, be, is between the principle. In Philippians 2.4, it says, Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And so the connection, then again, the immediate connection between the principle of having regard to the condition and needs of others and the sublime example of Jesus Christ. Jesus looked upon our dire needs as sinners. We are the others whose needs were the great object of his actings of grace. And it is his mind, as thus expressed, that is to be our mind, it is commanded. So then what we see is that this attitude, or maybe we should say this pattern of thinking, is to be the way that we approach life and the way we approach marriage. Now remember, if your marriage isn't working the way you would like it to, take heart. No one's marriage is. Every healthy marriage, it's the people who work. It's not, is your marriage working? It's, are you working? Am I working? We've said this before, but we need to be reminded that if we expect the other person to meet our deepest needs, then we have placed upon them an impossible burden, one that only God himself can meet. Maybe for us, it's our own reluctance to face the truth about ourselves, preferring to believe that it's our spouse who has the problem. Most of us would prefer... A successful and fulfilling marriage that just happens by itself. But a growing marriage requires effort and perseverance. God calls us to work at our relationship with him and with the person that we have promised to love. All that we've spoken about over the past several weeks is to be accomplished as we live by faith. Remember that faith is not simply an intellectual experience of a statement of fact. It is our personal trust and confidence in Christ of whom the facts are true. We are not saved merely because we believe that Jesus died for us on the cross, but because we trust in him who died. It is the personal touch between Christ and ourselves that causes his life to pass into our nature, that that makes us sound and healthy as well as secure and safe. 
So we have to ask ourselves the question, what does the cross mean to you? What does the cross mean to me? Does it not mean that there is that there Jesus gave himself absolutely to the Father's will? He was the empty channel through which God poured himself. It seemed in his life that he went down lower and lower on rung after rung of the ladder until he reached into Hades itself, giving up everything only to follow the will of God. But out of the lowest depths, God raised him to the eternal throne. And each one of us was a very strong self-will. We may say, I'm resolved to be a good man, or I am resolved to be a good woman. I am resolved to live a noble life. I am resolved to give up bad habits. I will do this. But it never can be accomplished that way. You can't leave here and say, I'm going to be submissive to my husband, or I'm going to, be, uh, I'm going to serve my wife, and just, you know, all rah, rah. That's, that's going to end before you get home. It's only when we see, it's only when we are willing to see ourselves, our own energy, our, our good self, as well as our bad self, brought to an end on the cross of Jesus Christ. And then we shall be able to enter into it and live his eternal life. So what I'm asking you to do, what I need to do, what we need to do on a regular basis, is to stand beneath the cross of Christ and to see there the one who entirely yielded up his own will for our sake. More than that, I want to see yourself nailed there, to see myself nailed there, to turn it to God, to turn from it to God in adoration, saying that you, saying that I am prepared to be weak and helpless as far as my own energies are concerned, that he may put forth in my life, that he may put forth in your life the mighty energy and the power which raised Jesus Christ from the dead, because that's what it will require, and that's what he's willing to give us. It is only when we are weak that we are strong. We know this in the Bible. We need to live that out. It's only when we surrender ourselves to the power of the cross that we realize that we have been crucified with Christ, that we are able to share in his eternal victory over the devil and the power of evil. It is only then we'll be able to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to the needs of our spouse and live ourselves for their well-being where we can put their best interest before our own. And in that, whether others see that or not, God is glorified and God is honored. And God is a rewarder of those who honor him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your grace and your love and your kindness. Father, we thank you for the incredible sacrifice of Christ. We ask, Lord, that you will help us to better comprehend what was involved with the coming of Christ. Lord, I'm convinced that we will never fully comprehend it, but I ask that you will help us to comprehend it at a much deeper level. I pray, Lord, that it would have its work in us, that your spirit would use the knowledge of your word in us to cause us, Father, to become like Christ, to move out of our unbelievable self-centeredness. Father, we would live as Christ would have us to live. Help us to think about the humiliation of Christ throughout the week. And that it's not just that he suffered for us, but in his suffering he was our example. We ask, Lord, that you would give us the grace we need to live that way, because we know already we are unable to live that way even now. And so, Father, we are just grateful for your unbelievable patience with us. Help us, Father, where we need it the most. We pray that you would help us today. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.